I'm not going to let him sit down quite yet because I'm going to find out. So, you know, Glenn, Glenn was pretty easy on the kids. He just gave chocolate bars to everybody. I want to find out, do we know the four points of the cross yet? Last week, I was at the junior youth retreat and was amazed. The kids knew all four of the statements uh, that go along with all for Christ. They knew every point of the cross. So we're going to find out if anyone here knows the points of the cross, starting with the bottom, all for Christ. What's the bottom of the cross? Nice, nice and loud. I want to hear the whole statement. No, that's not right. That's not correct. <laughs> that's not what's going to be on the screen in a moment. <clears throat> so you got the right word, but what's the whole statement that goes with all for Christ? You got it. Who was that? Right on. Thank you to my lovely assistant. He's got long arms. He can reach, he can reach the, halfway through the pew. All right, the right side of the cross. Right side of the cross. Who knows it? Anyone? Nobody knows it. Very close. 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 Anyone? Close. There it is. Who said that? Okay, well now you get the uh, you can have the pen or the uh, the other thing. Are you visiting here today? Have I, I don't know if I've even seen this man before. That's wonderful. All right, left side of the cross. If you remember Rick Reed's message, so it actually goes with the, uh, the discipleship path. On the right side, we're helping each other find and follow Jesus. On the left side, we're looking for people who haven't yet trusted Christ. What is it? Very close. Not quite. Very close. Say it again. That's what he said. There it is. Who said that? Was that Doreen? You're so close. All right, top of the cross. We tried to keep those words all for Christ in each of these statements. So there it is. Who said that? There it is. Thanks, Dave. Let's see if Andreas can reach that far. Not quite. <laughs> All right, as you've been hearing, we are going to talk today about serving. To be all for Christ means that we would be people who serve the Lord. And we're going to look at just one verse today, Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Andreas just read from the same chapter. We're just going to go down a few verses to verse 11, Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. very simple verse it says this never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord this message is going to be one of those simple messages where we start with what the Bible says is not we're not to do not this and then we're going to look at, but this, and we're going to find ourselves 
with this challenge of serving the Lord. So what is it that we are not to do? Don't do this. And it's never be lacking in zeal. Do not allow yourself to be lacking in zeal. So let me tell you what these two Greek words mean that Paul uses in this first verse. The word lacking here means to be lazy or to be slow or to be late or to be reluctant or to drag your feet. And what is it that we're not to be lazy to do or late to do or reluctant to do? Well, he tells us don't be lazy to, and then the word zeal here means this. It means haste, diligence, enthusiasm, full effort, quick obedience. So think about him putting those two words together. Don't be lazy, he would say, to be diligent. Don't be slow to make haste. Don't be reluctant to be enthusiastic. And don't be late to obedience. This is the word of God. This is a command of God's word. Never lacking in zeal means to, be, to drag your feet towards diligence and obedience. Not this. And then he says, but this. What is this? He says, keep your spiritual fervor. The word spiritual here means your spirit. I don't believe it's talking about the Holy Spirit here. It's talking about your spirit. It's the word pneuma, the word wind. And yes, often used to describe the Holy Spirit, although the word Holy Spirit comes uh, with that compound word, holy. But many times in the Bible used of us to describe a human being. The word pneuma describes our inner person. It's you, who you really are on the inside. It's your will. So it's talking about fervor in your spirit, in your inner person. The word fervor here means to be hot or to boil or essentially to boil over. Reminded me of my bachelor days when I managed to boil over many a pot, cooking potatoes and craft dinner and various things. Our lives are to be characterized by a fervor, a heat, that we would boil, and I love this actually, that we would be so enthused about something in our lives that that excitement begins to spill over so that we're not just enjoying it for ourselves, but it's spilling out and affecting others in good ways. Now, so we've seen not this, but this. Not, not slow to make haste, but in your spirit to be hot and boiling. But it raises this question for us. What is it that should make us boil over with diligence? I mean, the truth is that we, we could be diligent, but it might be about the wrong thing. In fact, I think there's really three possibilities for us as we consider this challenge in this verse this morning. The first one is that you're not boiling over, that in your spirit you're not hot, not for God, not for anything. There's nothing in your life that excites you. You know anyone like that? Maybe that's you. Not excited, not enthusiastic, not boiling over about anything in your life. That's one possibility. Here's a second. The second is that you are enthusiastic and you are diligent and you are boiling over 
but it's for the wrong thing. The thing that excites you and enthuses you and brings diligence out of you is not the thing for which God calls you to be diligent and enthusiastic and passionate. Both of those two things should give us pause, cause us to pray and seek the Lord. Because if, if our life is characterized by one of those two things, where I'm slow to diligence, I'm not boiling over, or I'm boiling over for the wrong thing. And by the way, I, I've come to learn in my almost two years here that in this area and in this local culture that we have here, diligence is a virtue, isn't it? Hard work. It's, it's something that's so important to us. It's ingrained, I would say, in, in everyone who lives in this area, who've been raised in this culture of work and hard work. And don't be lazy. It's a good thing, unless our diligence and our hard work is directed towards the wrong thing. What is it that should make us boil over with diligence. That's what we should ask as we look at verse 11 of chapter 12. Now this week at our How to Study the Bible class on Tuesday evening, we're going to be talking about the word context. And what we mean by that is as we study the Bible, we always want to make sure that we're maintaining the context. What is the context of these words? Because the words taken out of context can get us completely off the rails as to what the author actually meant to say. So we could, for example, take this verse and apply it to some other part of our lives that Paul didn't intend and God didn't intend. So what is the context of Romans chapter 12? If you have your Bibles open there, I hope you do. Just look at a few verses with me. Actually, look at the last verse of chapter 11. Paul has spent 11 chapters in great detail describing salvation and what it is that Christ has done for us on the cross and how a person can find salvation in Christ through repentance and faith. It's this detailed, deep explanation, a deep dive into what salvation actually is. And as he comes to the end of that explanation, he breaks into a song. My Bible here has doxology at the, the head of verse 33. And he begins to sing a song of worship to God. And notice the last verse there, verse 36, where he says of God, from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If that verse says anything about the context of chapter 12, verse 11, then we begin to get an idea of the direction of our diligence. What is it that should enthuse us and make us boil? Here Paul in this song says it's God. Because everything good comes from God. And everything good comes through God. And everything in this world is for God. And everything in this world is for his glory. So we begin to see a clue of the direction of this diligence that we are being called to. Then chapter 12 verse 1. The word therefore connects chapter 11 to chapter 12 when it says in light of who God is and what he's done this exhortation I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to see the direction here it's a direction word 
to God. We are to live our lives as living sacrifices. These people knew full well what a sacrifice was. If they had a background in Judaism, they understood the Old Testament sacrificial system and the idea of offering an animal either for a sin sacrifice or maybe a worship sacrifice, something of value that you lay on the altar that's consumed for the glory of God. And even if you were in a, a secular person, in secular culture, those people understood what offerings were too. And they had their idols and their false gods, and they made offerings of all kinds of things to those gods. Everybody knew what a sacrifice was, and here Paul says it's not something you're going to give other than you yourself, your whole life, is to be given over to God as a sacrifice to him. Notice he says at the end of that verse, this is your true and proper worship. So if the end of chapter 11, if verse 1 of chapter 12 is establishing our context, we're getting an idea here of the direction of our diligence. Then we come to verse 3 and into the verses that Andreas just read for us, where we read about serving in the church and serving one another and serving other believers and the idea that God has given us spiritual gifts and abilities with which we would not serve ourselves, but serve God and serve his people. Then we come to verse 9. We find a challenge here about love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted, notice here, to one another in love. And honor one another above yourselves. And then we come to verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor. What's the context? The context is this. In light of who God is, in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us, in light of the fact that he has redeemed a people, a church for himself, love God. Love the people that God loves. Serve God. Serve the people that God serves. And if there was any doubt, we simply have to read the end of the verse, and you're thinking, why didn't you just get to that in the first place? Which gives us the context of the command, never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor, there it is at the end, serving the Lord. I love the direction here of all of these verses, the direction of our diligence, the direction of our zeal, the direction of our passion is a Godward Direction, serving the Lord. This is what Scripture calls us to, and it makes a command here that we would never allow our hearts to become slothful and lazy about diligence, particularly in our spiritual lives, but rather that we would ensure, and notice it's a command, it's directed toward us, that if we are a follower of Christ, we would ensure that our hearts are ablaze and like a pot that's hot and beginning to boil over, that our hearts are hot and ablaze for Jesus Christ, serving the Lord. Now this phrase, Lord, is a really interesting one. In the book of Romans, it's used, at least in my version, about 40 times. 
I think in most cases it's a translation of a Greek word that does simply just mean Lord as we might know it in English. About a third of the uses of the word Lord in the book of Romans are references to the Old Testament. In fact, Paul often quotes from the Old Testament and often the, word, the same word Lord is used when quoting the Old Testament and it's specifically attributed to Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. About a third of the times that it's used in the book of Romans. And then about a third of the time that it's used in the book of Romans, it's clearly attributed to Jesus. He's called Christ Jesus, our Lord, or Lord Christ, or just Lord. And then there's uh, about a third of the occurrences where the use is a little bit ambiguous. You can't actually tell specifically, is he talking about Jesus here? Is he talking about Yahweh? Is he talking about the Father? It's just a reference to Lord which is actually really cool, and it's one of the reasons why we can confidently understand that the Bible teaches the deity of Jesus. Because Paul, who was Jewish, who, who understood the importance of, of the idea that there's only one true God, and anyone else is an imposter, and yet this Jewish man could attribute the very same title, the very same attributes to Jesus that he would attribute to the God of the Old Testament, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who made manna fall in the wilderness. Paul attributed the same title, the same attributes, the same authority to Jesus that he attributed to the God of the Old Testament. And so it doesn't really matter here that Paul in verse 11 doesn't specify that he's talking about the Lord Jesus or the Lord God or the Lord Father or the Lord Yahweh. It doesn't matter. Because from Paul's perspective, theologically, he knew that Jesus was God. That God was one God, existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord. See, that's one of the problems with us as Christians. And one of the reasons that our hearts grow cold is because we fail to recognize that Jesus is God. And if you know Isaiah chapter 6... Uh, a vision that Isaiah had of Almighty God, of Yahweh, and a vision where just, just the robe, the train of his robe, filled the entire temple, and a vision in which powerful angels were crying out, holy, 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 and the voice of the angels made the temple shake. And as Christians, we can get so used to thinking of Jesus as our, our friend. Ah, he is? Yeah, he is our friend. Or he's our savior. Yeah, he is that too. Or we have warm, special feelings about him. He brings us comfort. Yeah, absolutely, he should. He's our comforter. But if we fail to recognize that he is divine, that he is the creator of all things, that he is the ruler of all things, then somehow our faith can be watered down, the heat of our spirit can wane, we can become lukewarm, and we fail to recognize that the man who hung on the cross for our redemption was none other than God himself, dying in our place. So when we think about serving the Lord, this is one of the places where we find our heat, is recognizing who Jesus is for real. And no wonder. 
our hearts should be aflame, boiling over, because we understand who he is, and we marvel that the King of kings and Lord of lords would go to a criminal's cross to save people like me and you. If that does not fire you up and make your heart boil, there is something wrong. And that is why scripture calls us to have this heat. In Revelation 3, Jesus sends a letter to the church of Laodicea and he challenges them and rebukes them and exhorts them for this very thing, that their hearts were not hot. Now he says to them, you're neither cold or hot. Oh, well, at least we're, at least we're not totally cold. That wouldn't be good. Actually, Jesus would prefer that you be cold than lukewarm. Look what he says. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You remember I, when I was a kid, I used to find my mom's coffee. Sit, you know, she'd have a coffee in the morning, and then the cup would sit on the side table there in the living room. And I thought it was great fun to, uh, to come and have a taste. It was awful. Oh. It was lukewarm. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Does this, does this not strike you as so true of us in our affluent society where we feel like what we really want, what makes us hot, what makes us diligent is stuff and money? Jesus says, you're, you're actually lukewarm here. You don't, realize, you don't realize that when I look at your heart, there's a bankruptcy there, that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Brothers and sisters, if we are, are not hot, boiling over in our hearts for Jesus, we are, we are called out with this same rebuke. We even found this in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, the prophet, chapter 20, verse 9 says, If I say, I will not mention his, meaning God, I will not mention God's word or speak anymore in his name, his word, is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Oh, that that would be true of us. Every one of us, that it would be true of us as a church, that there is a fire in our soul that cannot be consumed. Do not be slow to make haste. Do not be lazy to be diligent. Do not be reluctant to be enthusiastic. Do not be late to obedience but boil over in your spirit. Serve the Lord. The direction of our diligence is right here. It's towards the Lord. And I want you to understand this word. When he says, serve the Lord, he uses in the Greek language the strongest word for servant. In fact, it's properly translated slave. Be a slave for God. I mean, this is actually just a simple test of our spiritual temperature. And it comes down to the attitude that we bring in our hearts, day by day, moment by moment, towards God. Do we see ourselves as his slave or bond slave, as we'll talk about in a moment? Do we see ourselves as being so unworthy of him. And, and let's remember, uh, brothers and sisters, that in salvation, God hasn't made us his slaves, has he? He's actually made us his children. 
But what Paul is reminding us of here is that if we lose sight of how worthy God and Christ are, if we fail to have this attitude of, of, Lord, I just want to serve you, then there is something wrong with our hearts. The boil has gone lukewarm. So this is a simple test for us. Is the attitude of my heart, God, I just want to serve you. I understand that you are almighty God. You are the God of creation. You made me. No wonder I would have responsibilities that I would be accountable to you as my maker. Take it a step further and say, God, I know who Jesus is. I know that Christ is divine, that he came to this world to be my rescuer, the divine creator God, the God of the Old Testament, now coming into the world to, to die for a, a wretch like me. I mean, if we truly understand those things, then our heart will automatically bend in humility towards this attitude of being a slave. The Jewish folks would have understood this idea of slavery and being a bond slave. And what's interesting is in the Old Testament laws about slavery, what God is doing in those laws is he's reaching into a very depraved culture where slavery was common, and he actually begins to redeem. So what does he say? If someone ends up as your slave, they serve you for six years, and then you release them. That might seem strange to us, it might seem backward to us, but you need to understand that from that perspective of that culture, to release a slave that you own after six years, and you, you can't sell them, you can't make profit off of them, that was completely redeeming. From that moment's perspective, it was beginning to redeem that idea of slavery, which is one of the reasons why Christian people through the decades and centuries came to understand that slavery was so wrong. But God began to redeem it even in those ancient days. So he said to his people, if you have a slave, they serve you six years, then you release them. You don't sell them. You release them. They're free. But if you have a slave and they say to you, and you can read this in, let me just get this right, Exodus 21 or Deuteronomy 15. You have a slave who served you well for six years and they don't want to go because they found in their master someone who's so kind and so generous and they would actually love to spend the rest of their life just living in the master's home and serving the master's family. Then, something different could happen. And the master would take the servant to the doorpost of his home and he would take this steel awl and he would drive it through the servant's ear and it would leave forever this hole, this wound in the ear that would, that would tell everyone that this person, man or woman, was a bond slave, a lifelong slave within the uh, community of Israel by their choice. This is what Paul is saying to us. In light of who God is and who Christ is and what they have done for us, our hearts should boil with diligence and fervor and we should serve God like a slave. God doesn't treat us like slaves. Let me say it again. But our attitude towards him should be, God, I just want to serve you. So I ask you this morning, 
Is that the temperature of your heart? Is this the direction of your diligence? If you're a diligent person, you work hard, is the direction of your diligence here towards Christ? So you say, well, what do I do if it's not? And I'll just give you this simple exhortation and explanation. What do we do if our hearts are not hot for Jesus Christ? And I'll say this, to raise your spiritual temperature, first pray. First pray. I, I've always been amazed by this. When I find my life and my heart are lacking, and of course when I think about all that Christ has done and who he is, why would my heart ever be lacking? But it often is. And what I have to do is actually cry out to the God that I, should, that I rightfully should just easily serve and actually have to ask him to change my heart and, and tune my heart, as that old hymn says, towards him. So we begin with prayer. We pray for God to change our heart and to open our eyes to contemplate Jesus and the gospel. We pray for God to change our heart. We pray for God to open our eyes so that we can contemplate with truth as best we can as human beings the wonder of who Jesus Christ is and the wonder of the gospel and all that Christ has done for us in giving his life. And when the temperature of our hearts is raised, what do we say? God, I want to serve you. Now, we have a whole bunch of people in this church who want to serve God and who are serving God. Let me just make a couple of comments about this. It is possible, and I've lived this, it is possible for us to serve God diligently, to work hard, but to do it for the wrong motives and reasons, isn't it? We can serve God out of the sense of duty, and, and if I don't do it, I actually feel guilty. But if I do it, then I feel like I've kind of gotten my spiritual check mark. And it's not for love for God, and it's not love for people. It's actually love for myself. I just want to feel better about myself, and so I serve for that motive and reason. Well, it's great that you're serving, but of course, as we grow in our faith, we want to grow past that motivation, well past that motivation, to find what Paul spoke of here right before verse 11 when he talked about love being sincere and, and loving and honoring one another above ourselves. So as our spiritual temperature raises, our love for Christ is growing, and our serving flows from that place of loving Jesus and loving the people that he loves. There is no one in your life that you can say, oh, thank goodness Jesus doesn't love him or her. Because either they're a child of God, who Jesus loves as his child, or they're potentially a future child of God, that Jesus wants you to love for their own salvation and redemption. As the temperature of our hearts grow, our love for Jesus grows, and we serve for the right motives. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you serving Christ? Are you serving the Lord? And are you serving with the right motives? Let me like make one more comment about our serving. You know, staff, we come up here and we talk about all the different needs within the church and various ministries and we need people over here and we need people over here and I would encourage you unless there's some extreme uh, thing going on in your life where you just literally cannot you're caring for family or you got illness or something 
I would encourage everyone to find an outlet of ministry within the church. But I also want to say this, that when it comes to living the Christian life and being a servant of God and a servant of his church, so much of our serving should flow spontaneously out of our lives. Without a schedule, doesn't have to be a ministry, doesn't have to be a program, doesn't have to be a certain day and a certain time of the week, but just our day-to-day lives, we are just looking to serve. You can probably think of people within the congregation who do this. My question for you is, do you do this? So that when you find out of a need of someone in the church, maybe you don't even know them well. Well, so-and-so's just had a baby. Boy, I bet you they could use a meal. You know, so-and-so's got an illness, but I know they're halfway through this construction process. I wonder if I could go and help. There's so much of our serving for God that actually should be, can be spontaneous just in our day-to-day lives where no one knows. It's not programmed. It's not, it's not scheduled. It's just we just live out this heart of serving God and his people. When I was in Bible college, there was a song. To be honest, I look back and feel like not really my favorite song, but I I couldn't help but think of it as I prepared this message. Maybe maybe you've heard of it. Let me just share some of the words. If Christ himself were standing here, face full of glory, eyes full of tears, and he held out his arms and his nail scarred hands. Is there any way you could say no to this man? Would you tell him you're not ready to give him your life? Would you say you don't think you need his love? Is there any way you could say no to this man? I really believe and have had a sense that the Holy Spirit is at work in our church but I've had a worry, a nagging concern that it's easy for us and maybe it's culturally normal for us to not act upon the movement of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So we're going to do something different as we conclude our service today. First of all, I want every one of us to be searching our own souls. What is it that God is saying to us? And we've had messages about last week about transformation and I've had a message about baptism and being all surrendered surrendering all to Christ so I want us all to consider what is it that God's stirring in my own heart and I don't want us today to sing these next two songs we're about to sing and then Glenn's going to come and pray and he's going to say amen and then this room's going to light up with talking and, and banter and noise we're not going to do that today If the Lord isn't, you're not sensing the Lord stirring your heart towards a decision today, that's totally fine. not trying to work that in somehow and make that happen. Or if you just need to get going, get your kids, get on to uh, your lunch today, totally fine. I'm just going to ask that you would quietly get up from your seat, move out into uh, into the foyer. But if you're sensing the Lord is stirring your heart towards a decision, then I'm going to ask you to stay. I'm going to invite you to stay. Uh, Maybe you've heard the challenge about baptism and the Lord has been stirring that in your heart and mind, but the reality is you just won't and haven't made a decision. Then let it be today. If you need to talk to someone 
I'm going to ask that the elders stay in this room. We're, we're going to stay here. We're going to be available. I'm going to be available. If you want to come forward, sit in the front pew, get down here by the steps here and pray, I'm going to invite you to do that. I wonder if there's people who've come here to this church from other churches, as we talked about last week, churches that taught a legalistic kind of faith where it was all about the rules, and you've come here looking for freedom from that. We're so glad you're here. But I worry for some of you that you've actually never made a decision to trust Christ. You found freedom from that legalism, but you haven't realized that you actually still need a Savior. You need to repent and trust Him. You need to make a decision. If that's you, I just pray that you will make that decision today. Or maybe God is stirring in your heart in other, rate, in other ways. Where you recognize that you're not all for Christ and you're not, you're not serving God and your heart is not passionate and boiling over for Jesus. Well, then maybe, maybe today is a day when you can just spend some time here praying for God to change your heart. So I'm going to have the music team come. We're going to sing two songs to help us contemplate these things and prepare then Glenn is going to come and close in prayer and I just want this room to stay quiet if you want to stay in this room and pray either for yourself you're not sure what God is saying to you but if you just want to stay and pray please do that maybe you have a loved one in this room and you want to go and sit with them and pray with them you can do that you want to just stay in this room and pray for other people who are sitting here and listening to the spirit stir them then please do that Let's stand together and sing these closing two songs. I'm not sure. Well, it still works. Anyways, I'd like to just read a, pass, a short passage out of uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and not distract from Gary's message. If we can get a glimpse of the glory of Christ, it will help us serve with the right motive, I believe. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says this, and he had talked just prior to this about death, and death, where is your victory? It was sin that made death so frightening, and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But, but now in a single victory, victorious stroke, of life all three sin guilt death are gone the gift of our master jesus christ thank you god with all this going for us my dear dear friends stand your ground and don't hold back throw yourselves into the work of the master confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you that they are truth and their life, and that Jesus came to set us free from this world's bondage and selfishness, to serve the one who came to serve who could have chose not to go to the cross, who could have chose to just not do his Father's will. Oh, Father, help us today as you have spoken into our hearts. Lord, remove the calluses. 
remove the fear that keeps us from giving it all for Christ. Lord, again, help us to not rush out of here, but to really let the privilege we have to be bond servants of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one we will someday see face to face. And Lord, may it be said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. May this place represent you as a selfless body of Christ who is full of serving and loving because it's all for Christ. Lord, speak into each one. There's people in this place this morning that our hearts cry out that they would have transformed lives. Others who need to step up and be all out and be baptized and demonstrate their full commitment to you. And for others who have served for a long time, just revitalize in us the privilege it is to give us all to you. Whatever we say, whatever we do for your glory, help us, O oh Father. May your Holy Spirit's power be so real to us. Help us to humble our hearts and not be ashamed to lift the name of Jesus up. Amen. Amen. So don't rush out of here. Just sit and contemplate for a bit. It's still early enough. So let God speak into your lives. Amen.